Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online and our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. Oh God, speak in spite of my frailty. Take up my empty words into your grace. Put me away and take the center. In her book, Indecent Theology, Theological Perversions in Sex, Gender, and Politics, Argentinian theologian Marcella Outhouse Reed writes, quote, I have seen the cross-dressing Jesuses, surrounded by their drag queen versions of the Veronica and the Magdalena, this last one the object of veneration in many transgender communities of the poor. Jesuses with false eyelashes surrounding big, sad eyes, and Magdalenas with wigs, penises and breasts, marching at night in the illuminated city and provoking the admiration from the public by the finery of their clothes and presentation. Why do the poor, on the only annual occasion where anyone can publicly represent herself as she pleases, present shows with trans Jesuses? Why this sexual and gender confusion and a popular festival where songs assume politically critical tones and entire poor communities live and work just for this annual celebration? She asks these questions rhetorically, answering that it is because in Jesus that the poor find a comrade. Because in Jesus, queer and trans people find a sibling. I'll try to flesh that out in a moment, but what you might have noticed in the passage is the looming absence of the so-called Virgin Mary. Why is she not included in these queer reveries? Althaus Reed says that the poor working women of Buenos Aires call Mary the mother of Jesus, quote, a white woman who does not walk. She is not embodied by the queer and trans lives of the poor. She is embodied by their oppressors. She is the fulfillment of cis-heteropatriarchal expectations of women, somehow both sexual and virginal at the same time, and perfectly obedient. She lives a charmed life, ensconced in a halo, and is weaponized in her docility and purity to coerce subjects into gender and sexual norms that serve white supremacy and capitalism. She represents a paradigm of holy chastity, submission, and white imagination. Well, this is manifestly true insofar as it characterizes dominant appropriations and deployments of Mary by church colonial bodies. It's only representative of a bad reading of Mary. We've been reading the Christmas stories in confirmation class. And the students pointed out the sexual politics of Matthew 1, 17 and 18, which says, Jesus' mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So according to the norms... 
that regulate sexual and gender expression in her day, Mary, who has had a filial relationship with the Holy Spirit, is now pregnant through entirely non-normative means, to say the least. And as her community apprehends her situation, they would actually be obligated to reinforce those norms through violence in the form of execution by stoning. So when she sings this song, the song that David read for us this morning, she sings this song of liberation with a pathos that we can't imagine. She recites this litany with an urgency that most of us can't understand. Mary isn't an empty vessel into which an author has dumped lofty words. She's a young Jewish Palestinian girl who is strong enough, brave enough to bring hope into the world by a means that may result in her death. What is queerness but the refusal of conventional gender and, and sexual expression, particularly when those refusals are met with violence? How perfectly queer a thing for a woman to conceive of love made flesh without respect to the rules of men. And so she is rendered peripheral, disposable and even killable because of her refusal of sexual normativity. Her song then, is a mode of celebration and resistance that queer people can recognize as queer practice. It's a joyfully militant ballad of hope. It's her embodied knowledge that in spite of what the world might say about her place within regimes of sexual power, God is on her side. She, in fact, knows God like they could never imagine. She has risked an intimacy with God that they could never know. And so she sings even if no one else hears, a song to the queer children of the world, reminding them that God is with them, purposefully disrupting the violence of conventional sexuality alongside them, and expanding our sense of the beauty and complexity and diversity and divinity of queer desire. She sings under duress, but with a quiet knowledge and assurance of her purpose that we receive as an inheritance. And her child. We know how Jesus was gendered by other people. We don't know what Jesus' own experience of gender was. Masculine presentation isn't manhood, as Bush lesbians would tell you, or as you've experienced with me, someone who typically, though not exclusively, presents as masculine. Interpreting outward presentation isn't a trustworthy method of identifying gender. But this God person, Jesus, the one who was transfigured more deeply into himself on that mountaintop, whose appearance was transformed so that others might better understand who he was, his physical change revelation not to himself, but to those who knew him, the one who carried the marks of his transformed body, the scar on his side, the points and his hands and feet, symbolic resonances with trans bodies that bear the traces of their own transformations, the marks of hormone needles or surgical knives, holy signs of one who is in communion with the Christ, who is on a spiritual journey that is both harrowing and beautiful in ways that no one else can fully understand. You might look up artistic depictions of the wound in Jesus' side, as the artists of our tradition have depicted that wound in mandorla shape to look like a vulva, 
implying that the only thing we know of Christ's naked, crucified body is the anatomical suggestion of a vulva. What was not true of his body before, but signified, by the, but signified the reality of his identity as the Christ, is now kept for eternity on his body. As he shows the signs of this transformation into his resurrected self with his loved ones. What does this mean about Jesus' gender or how we should gender Jesus? I'm not here to make any final determination about that, but to suggest that there is a beautiful, beautifully queer illegibility to his gender. There is a wonderful transness to his body as it refuses reduction to convention. This Christ is the Christ of queer and trans people too. He is not the embodiment of the cis-heteronormative dream as some divine and eternal legitimation of that paradigm. No, he is queer and he is trans. He is a disruptor of all our attempts to contain sexual and gender identity with binaries and anatomical stipulations. A sermon alluding to the queerness and transness of Jesus was preached in the chapel at the University of Cambridge just a couple of Sundays ago. Transphobes walked out in tears, bewildered and terrified and angry that their Christ could be spoken of in these terms. They pretended that they were concerned with what could have been spoken of as an undressing of Christ, as if he weren't already undressed and undressed by a traditional assumption that we would know precisely what an undressed Christ would look like. They were comfortable with their assumption, but didn't want it to be disturbed or problematized. Their comfortable thinking of Christ is straightforwardly male, which is its own kind of undressing, its own gendering. And further, their uncomfortability that they felt at connecting sexuality with Jesus stems from the blasphemous belief that sexuality is somehow evil or wrong, when God created it and called it good. To recoil at the suggestion that Jesus or Mary had a sexuality is to dehumanize them, which is heresy, and to call good evil, which is the mark of the Antichrist. And I want to contrast that reaction with what's happening here today. You're hearing a sermon by a queer trans pastor. I haven't seen one angry tear shed. I think we're all good. I see smiles, head nods, warm energy. And we have welcomed into our community 11 new members today, many of whom identify as LGBTQIA. Amen. Many of their stories have been shaped by that identity because this world is a hostile place in the church, often terrifyingly so. But here they found a home. Here they are home. And Queerly Beloved is throwing a rager after service. <laughs> because we're not here to worship a cisgender, heterosexual male God. We are here to encounter the expansive mystery of the true and living God who defies all category and convention. We are here not to concretize labels, but to open ourselves to the flow of the Spirit who might, uh, who might inspire us to radically new ways of understanding ourselves and one another. So remember Mary's queer anthem. Meditate on Christ's trans body. 
Let's go deeper into these mysteries together, church, loving each other with all the fullness available to us through the Spirit so that we might together overcome the world with our commitment to real, material, apocalyptic, and revolutionary love. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary, as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.